jump into this and, and you guys kind of see the stuff that Jonah's going through. He, he uses some terms and uses some imagery that's not going to make total sense unless I explain something to you. Can anybody, can you guys say cosmology? Cosmology is a fancy word for what does the universe look like? We have science and we have discovered that Earth looks like this. It spins around and it goes around the sun. It's tilted a little bit. The Jews did not have science. They did not know that the earth was spherical. Okay? We have the globe. The Jews had the snow globe. Can you throw that image up there really quick? I'm going to give you guys a quick lesson on Hebrew cosmology. This is what the, the Jews thought that the world looked like. It's a little hard to read, but I'll just give it to you really quick. So, at the very top, see those funny-looking characters? That's God. That's Yahweh in Hebrew. And God is looking down on this giant ocean. You can see the waves at the top there. In the beginning of Genesis, if you look at the very beginning, it says that the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the face of the deep. The face of the deep is this, this giant ocean right up, up, above the world. Okay? And then you have this thing called the firmament. This is the outer part of the snow globe. This is basically uh, what God created. In Genesis, it says he created the firmament. This is what keeps that crazy ocean from getting inside. And in the flood, if you guys ever heard the story of Noah and the flood, God actually opens up the firmament so that water pours out and floods the earth. And when it rains, it says that there are actually uh, windows, that's what it says where they're super blurry. It says windows of heaven. The windows open and the rain comes down. You guys, you can't blame them for thinking this because if you look up into the sky, especially on a very clear day, what do you see? It's blue. It's blue. Any logical Hebrew who didn't have science was like, there must be water up there. Um, so, so it comes down and then you have the earth. So the earth is basically this big disc and we all live on there, basically they didn't understand that it was round because they would get to the edge of the land and they would just, that's a lot of water. So they just thought that there was water all the way around. And this is the important part. This is the important part. I want you guys to tune in on this. Underneath, underneath is, um, is the ocean. It's actually, it's got a special name. It's not just normal water. It's, uh, it's actually called, oh, what's it called? Oh, man. Mayim. That is it. Somebody say Mayim. Mayim. This is the Hebrew word for chaos water. Chaos water. Not just normal water. Chaos water. The Jews, this is how they thought about the world. And if you can't tell, that thing at the bottom there, that's the Leviathan. That's the dragon, okay, that God created. That's the symbol of chaos and destruction and disorder. The Hebrews were terrified of the ocean because they thought that was what was waiting for them. And in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of the chaos water is Sheol. Sheol is the place of the dead. Hebrews didn't have this concept of heaven and hell. They just had this idea of Sheol. This is where everybody goes when they die. Everybody in the Jewish faith, everybody goes to Sheol when they die. So Sheol is the place of the dead. Now, keep all that in mind. We're going to jump back in and kind of, you'll start to understand the imagery 
in the words that Jonah uses in his prayer. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of Sheol, I called for his help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. The current swirled about me and your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters were at my throat and the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head to the roots of the mountains. I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. Can you go back to that image for a second? I don't know if you guys noticed, but the mountains have roots. The mountains have roots, and if you kind of squint a little bit, they look like bars. Jonah is saying, you have cast me into the prison of death where nobody comes back. This is where Jonah is, this is where Jonah is praying from. He is as rock bottom as you can get. I mean, this concept, the roots of the mountains, man, this messed me up. I don't know if any of you guys have ever felt like you've been down to the roots of the mountains. I know there's brokenness in this room. I know that there are students and leaders here that have felt like they're sinking. They've felt like they're drowning. And verse six, right after he says that, he says, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. But, you see, but is one of the most hope-filled words in the scriptures. But is this powerful word where Jonah says, I was, I was in death. There was no coming back, but God, your power reaches even there. Even in Sheol, even in the chaos water, God, your power is there. He goes on in verse seven. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. My prayer rose to you and to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. See, in verse seven, the verb tense actually changes back. So Jonah's done with his flashback, and now he's back in the fish, and he's thinking about this thing that just happened. And it says earlier that uh, he was in the fish for three days and three nights, right? So he had a long time to think about this. Only after... Jonah says this second half of the prayer. I want you guys to catch this. Only afterwards does God command the Leviathan to spit him back up. You ever wonder why that? I read that and I was like, why did he wait until then? Why, like, why then? And it's, I think, I think it's because Jonah learned an important lesson. He figured it out at the end of that prayer. He figured out the lesson, God is sovereign. Sovereign's kind of a weird, fancy word. He's saying, God, 
is powerful, he's in control, and he has a plan. That's what sovereign is. He's in control, and he has a plan. And Jonah learns this lesson, and God sees it, and he's like, you got it. And he spits him back out. Verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. That's gross. I don't know what it's like to be fish vomit. You see, Jonah, you got to understand the experience Jonah went through. He was in the Mayim. He was in the chaos water. The story, have you guys ever been in the ocean when the waves are like really rolling? Maybe one catch you off guard and the water's swirling. He's, he's sinking down to the depths of the mountains. He's thinking, if there's any place on earth, if there's any place that God's power can't reach, it's right here where I am. I am hopeless. And God reaches into Sheol. He pulls Jonah out. <laughs> he brings this giant chaos fish to swallow him. And Jonah learns. God is the God who calms the seas. God is the God who commands the Leviathan, and he listens. <laughs> really quick, I want to jump over to Job so you guys can get an idea of what the Leviathan is. That picture doesn't really do it quite justice. God, God talks about it in Job 41. He's showing off a little bit to Job. He says, can you pull the Leviathan in with a fish hook or tie down his tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he keep begging you for mercy? Will he speak to you with gentle words? He will, will he make an agreement with you? For you take him in as your slave for life? Can you make him a pet like a bird or put him on a leash for your girls? Ladies, anybody like that as a pet? <laughs> Will traders barter for him? Will they divide him up among his merchants? Can you fill his hide with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? If you lay a hand on him, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. Any hope of subduing him is false. The mere sight of him is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse him. Who then is able to stand against me? That's what we have at the end there. I just want to keep going so you can, you can hear it. I will not fail to speak of his limbs, his strength and his graceful form. Who can strip off his outer coat? Who would approach him with a bridle? Who dares open the doors of his mouth, ringed about with fearsome teeth? His back has rows of shields tightly sealed together. Each is so close to the next that no air can pass in between. They are joined fast to one another. They cling together and cannot be parted. His snorting throws out flashes of light. His eyes are like the rays of dawn. Firebrands stream from his mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from his nostrils from a boiling pot over a fire of reeds. This thing is a sea serpent and it breathes fire. God wasn't messing around, right? Jonah has an encounter with this animal and he realizes the lesson. God is sovereign. He's in control and he has a plan. Now, you might be asking yourself, what does that have to do with me? That's a good question. I want to ask you guys, you don't have to raise your hands, you don't have to 
say me or anything like that, but just think, what, what in your life is broken? When have you experienced brokenness in your life? Have you ever felt like you were sinking? Have you ever felt like you were drowning? I know there, I went through a really, really hard time in my life when I was in high school, actually. And I can relate to what Jonah says in chapter two. I know what it feels like to feel like you're sinking down to the roots of the mountains. And I, and I wonder if you know what that feels like too. You see, if that's you, and maybe it's right now, maybe right now you're suffocating, you're gasping for air. Can I tell you right now that there is a God who commands the Leviathan. There is a God who calms the storms. There's a God who parts the seas. <laughs> In Psalm 104, um, the psalmist says um, that the Leviathan is God's pet. Right? God's like, roll over. You know? Sit. Here's a treat. And it's not like um, a disobedient pet like at my house we've got a dog that doesn't really like to listen I, I really think the Leviathan was an obedient pet you see this is a God who is powerful he commands the Leviathan he speaks to the storm and it silences that same God he desperately desires you did you know that? The God who said, let there be light, and light exploded out of his mouth. He created the universe with words because he wanted to be with you. You have a God that loves you. If you want proof, check out the New Testament, the first four books. God left heaven. God said, I created this world and I, and I created people so I could be with them and they, they, you know, I love them but they broke it. And you know, they've been trying and trying but they can't fix it. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna leave heaven. I'm gonna leave everything that I, that I create. I mean, heaven is perfect. He said, I'm gonna leave and I'm gonna fix it. He came down in the form of a man named Jesus he lived a life, he loved people, he died a death, a humiliating criminal's death. And he rose from the dead just so he could be with you. He loves you that much. And you might be saying, you might be saying, Andrew, if you knew what I've done, if you knew the things that I feel, the things that people say about me, if you knew what was going on inside the dark things that I don't tell anybody, you would understand that God doesn't want me. How could he want this? I want you to know I used to say those same things. I used to feel that same way. I used to feel like so worthless. I used to feel guilty because my sin is what killed Jesus, but I'm so messed up that Jesus doesn't even want me anymore. I used to feel this way, and I want to tell you 
had a mountain of depression in front of me. And you might feel that too. You might have a mountain in front of you. It might not be depression. It might be anxiety. It might be something else. You look at it and it seems impossible to climb. You just look. You say, how am I going to get over this? How am I going to get past this? It seems like there's no hope. And I can tell you guys, from, from being there myself, I made one simple change. And it didn't solve all my problems. It didn't take the pain or the sadness away, but it put me on a path where I could start healing, where God could start healing me. And this one change was this. I lifted my gaze. I lifted my gaze. See, too often we get stuck looking at the mountain in front of us, thinking that it's impossible to get around, it's impossible to get past and we don't lift our gaze. See the God who created the mountains, created the mountains from their roots. You see, I used to say, look how big my problems are. Look how big my problems are. Now I say, look how big my God is. It's a matter of perspective. You shift your perspective a little bit, it puts you on a path where God can start healing. Maybe you're stuck in the fish and you're, you still haven't learned that lesson that God is sovereign. You still feel like you're, you're in Sheol. Can I tell you that God is sovereign? He's in control and he has a plan. If you understand how big your God is, truly understand, take a look at him. Your mountains don't seem so impossible anymore. You'd spend time looking at how big your God is. The mountains don't seem so big anymore. Don't seem so impossible anymore. The God who tells the Leviathan to sit and roll over, who, who measures the universe, the width of his hand. He sits back and he says, it's like that big who calms the storms, the storms in nature and the storms inside of our hearts, that God will fight for you. He will fight for you. That news should put some life back into your bones. That news should give you a little, a little spark, a little electricity in the air. Because God has already won. So you might be saying, okay, okay, God will fight for me, sure, Andrew, whatever you say. But what am I supposed to do? Life still sucks. Still feel barred in by the mountains. God will fight for me, I'm still here. What are you supposed to do? You do what Jonah did, you pray. You don't just pray, you pray. You put your heart and your soul into it. I don't Somewhere along the line, we got the wrong idea about prayer. Prayer is something you do before dinner, something you do when you're at HSM. You bow your head, you close your eyes, you fold your hands, you sit still, talk in a quiet voice. Prayer is a weapon of the hopeless. Say that again. Prayer 
is a weapon of the hopeless. In James 5.16, it says this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You guys say it. The prayer of a righteous person is and effective. Well, Andrew, you didn't hear me before about all those messed up things I did. Obviously, I'm not righteous. God doesn't want to hear me. God doesn't want to listen to me. Can I tell you guys, righteousness doesn't mean you're perfect. I can stand on this stage to you and tell you, I'm righteous right now. Not because I'm perfect. I messed up today, like, like a lot. But I'm righteous. Righteousness is a right relationship with God and a right relationship with other people. It doesn't take perfection for your prayers to be powerful and effective. It takes authenticity. It takes you approaching the creator of the universe, God, and not putting on any mask and not saying, oh, thank you for my blessings today. You're saying, God, what the heck? This life sucks right now. I'm, I'm, I'm sinking to the roots of the mountains. Honest prayer is the weapon of the hopeless. Do you guys know that prayer can change God's mind? Prayer can change God's mind. It's happened many times in the Bible, and we're actually going to see one time next week. The prayer of a righteous person is what? Powerful and effective. When one of God's kids cries out for help, man, you better believe dad's going to hear it. You better believe dad's going to hear it. And he might not respond with some kind of miracle. We always want the miracle, right? We always want to, to be miraculously pulled out like Jonah did. But sometimes it's the process that we need to go through. It's a process that, that creates perseverance in us. It, the experience, it, it allows us to relate to other people. It allows us to speak truth into other people. He may not respond with a miracle, but you can know that God is still sovereign. He is in control and he has a plan. And you guys, we gotta, we gotta get past this like fake prayer thing. We gotta get past it because God sees your heart, right? He sees what's going on. So there's no use in saying like, you know, oh God, thanks for helping me or please help me with my test. When really you're, you're inside, you feel like you're ripping apart. Honest prayer. If you're sad, be sad. If you're happy, be happy. If you're mad, let him have it. God can take it. He's a lot bigger than you. Now, I'm going to give you guys an invitation right now. Um, um, I'm going to close in prayer. And I, I don't want you, I mean, you're allowed. <laughs> but I don't want you to bow your head and close your eyes and fold your hands and sit still. If you feel like you're drowning, if you feel like you're in the storm, I want you to do what Jonah did. In, in verse four, can you put 
chapter 2, verse 4, Jonah back up there? Look what Jonah does. He said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. We will look toward heaven. We will look toward the presence of God. You know who else does this? In a, in a, in a storm inside of his heart? Jesus. In John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 1. He, it says this. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed. And this is, this, this is the prayer that Jesus says right before he's about to get arrested and crucified. So I can tell you that there is value in looking towards heaven. If you're in the storm right now, if you, if you feel like Jonah right now, I'm, I'm gonna encourage you, don't, don't bow your head, don't close your eyes, lift your gaze. Look towards heaven. If you wanna stand up, you wanna open up those arms, do it. If you wanna kneel down, do it. If you wanna just sit there, that's fine. But I wanna encourage you guys. Prayer is the weapon of the hopeless and the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So let's pray. If that's you, I would encourage you to do it right now. Lift your heads up, keep those eyes open. Nowhere in scripture does it say you have to keep your eyes closed and your head bowed when you pray. And I'm right here with you guys. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you're sovereign. And even though we experience storms, even though we experience the chaos water, we sink down to the mountains, we feel like we're drowning, we feel like we've settled into death. We're thankful that your power still reaches there. God, I pray for these students, for the storms that they're experiencing, the brokenness and the pain, and the mountains that are in front of them, whatever they look like. God, I pray that they will spend a little less time looking at the mountain, and a little more time looking at you. God, I know that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I believe that. And God, I pray for these situations, for my own brokenness. God, if it's a miracle that you've got in store for us, that you've just been waiting for us to ask for, God, send it. We're ready. I don't want to do this anymore but God if it's the process that we need if you've got something bigger in mind because you have a plan and you're in control then God I'm thankful for the process I pray that you will surround these students with people who will love and support them and let them know that they do not have to do this alone and I pray for your strength to keep on going even when we want to give up. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.